Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. It's the most frightening time of the year. The spirits, they're moaning and the pumpkins are glowing and fill you with fear. It's the most frightening time of the year. Welcome to an extra spooky episode of Whining About Herstory, where two ghoul friends whine about women from history that you haven't heard of and maybe didn't want to while drinking wine to drown our demons. They don't drown. They don't. At least mine haven't the, yet. I love the line from Dessa where she's like, I tried to drink drink away my demons, but it seems they learned to swim. I'm like, oh my God, Dessa, baby. The words you write are ripped from my soul. Yeah, they speak to me. <laughs> yes, they, they speak to me on a deep and visceral level that um really should highlight my mental illness and how I should get help for it. But I'm just going to keep listening to your music and bopping along. Help is for people who can afford it. <laughs> Accurate. That being said, that's why BetterHelp is such a good option. Hashtag sponsored. Yeah. And they do take yeah. a lot of insurances. They do. No, no. And that's awesome. Yeah. Really. I mean, it's. I love making excuses not to go to therapy, but there really isn't one anymore. I finally stopped making excuses to go to therapy, like to the point where my job was going to interfere with my therapy and I figured out a way to get around it. And I'm like, no, I'm still going to go to therapy. And I was very proud of myself for not just being like, I'm fine. I don't need therapy anymore. I I remember, I think it was like episode one or two. I made a joke about how like I should really go to therapy and then three years later, I started going to therapy and then kicked my toxic ex out of the house. So yeah. Shocking that how shit those, is those powerful. things happen. Don't, don't put it off. Please don't do it. I'm going to preemptively apologize because I have three dogs and a cat with me today. Kelly and I are recording remotely because I am so fucking t- like this whole week has just been insane and I haven't been around my animals as much as I want to and I needed to do laundry and just be in my sweatpants. Emily hates me. My with my Dickensian orphan puppy on my lap. Um Navi's in your chair. That bitch. I knew she was trying to take over. She was like He's I, been trying I to am the new co-host. She, I mean, she's been buying for my spot for a long time. We, we both know that. Yeah. But I'm not threatened. I'm completely secure. Kelly, please, God, don't replace me with your dog. <laughs> you're, you're a better conversationalist. And, you know, I don't yell as often yeah. when people come in the house. I do appreciate that. Or, or when I do start yelling, it's, um, it's excited. And then I calm down in an appropriate amount of time. Yeah. You know, af- after they start petting me, then I calm down. Navi just keeps going. She doesn't fucking care. Depends on the person, but generally, yeah, that's that's <laughs> accurate. All right. Well, um, Kelly. Yeah. Oh, woof. There are my dogs. Right on cue. Are we good? 
So Kelly, what are we drinking today? You're just not gonna. We're just gonna have to deal with it. Yeah, um, I, I got him off the couch. He'll come down. We are drinking Witching Hour. <gasps> Sorry, that um, that caught in my throat something awful, didn't like, it? Um, so Jesus it says, Christ. One can guess, but few know the truth. Some say it is the hour when darkness is most wicked. Devil does his deeds and black magic bespokes your reason. Its powerful dark arts are conjured into this red blend. An inky, potent, lusty wine with luscious flavors of dark cherry and blueberries integrated with vanilla mocha to consume your senses. Behold, the witching hour has been bottled. Ooh, I yeah, love good, that. That's a good one. I also love the concept that I can just bottle and consume the witchiness. Hour. I'm really, I'm really loving that metaphor. I'm really loving that concept. Yeah. And I love how it justifies my drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I'm literally, I was going to tell a different story for this week. I'm literally switching my story because of your wine. Mm. Okay, I believe you. I'm doing it right now. It's it's done. It has happened. I have my notes pulled up. We're good to go because it is. It would be a sin. It would truly be like a cardinal sin. Like you're not getting into heaven, bitch. If, if you I don't did switch not your story. switch stories, yeah, that's funny. this is too perfect. I almost did the seven deadly zins, but I was like, I know we've done that one before so good though yeah so that'll just be my sipping wine for not on not on the podcast oh not no that's your recreational wine you know just mixing it up yeah so kelly what should we cheers to um hmm. self-care self-care and all the powerful witches in our lives there you go yes i'm gonna i'm gonna clink against my glass candle thing here let's see how it sounds it thunks. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the bottle. Better. Beautiful. Beautiful clink. Cheers, witches. Man, the look my dog just gave me. She's like, excuse me, why are you making loud noises? <laughs> She's like, excuse me. Um, I know this is a talking podcast that we're on, but how dare you? It was the clink actually. Yeah. She, you know what? I think she's bitter that you didn't get her that dog wine. Probably. I've seen it like in the dog beer and I'm like, why? Can I just say, I love the concept. I love the idea of drinking with my dogs. <laughs> that being said, I am not in a place in my life where my disposable income is going to go to a novelty beverage that my dog isn't even going to appreciate. I would rather just get more drunk myself and cuddle with my sober dogs. Yeah, that sounds better to me too. Yeah, it just, I don't know. I, 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 love, I love it in concept. I love it in theory. If I got it as a gift, it would be great, but I'm not going to spend my money on that. Well, no, I don't think it like actually real wine. I don't even think it gets, actually like gets your dog drunk or anything. I think it's more just truly a novelty. No, and that's what I'm saying. It's like uh, it would be cheaper for me to put food coloring in their water. Right, exactly. As, as my dog hacks into the microphone. It's like mama was barking at something. At my leg because <laughs> he also must be on my lap. All right. Well, Kelly, you're going first, right? I am. 
thank Christ. Thank Christ. Thank Christ. I don't know. With these ladies, I don't know if that's who we should be thanking. Um, maybe we need to be praying. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Praying, running, throwing holy water about. Yeah. Getting that Morton salt girl, making a little ring around mm. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm a salty bitch. Don't fuck with me. Yeah, there you go. I'm salty enough. I don't need. I don't need a salt ring. I'm salty enough. It's gonna be my new catchphrase. I don't need a salt ring. I'm salty enough. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm constantly dehydrated. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm just so salty. Probably accurate for that's, me. That's why my dogs love licking me because I'm like a giant salt lick. Horses salt love me too. all the time. <laughs> all right. So I am covering Mary Ann Cotton. Fuck. I'm pretty sure we haven't covered her before. No, we haven't. But, and I don't know a lot about this story, but I recognize the name. And I know the context is less than pleasant. I mean, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also I don't trust anyone with cotton in their name. Yeah, I don't. It creeps me out. And especially after doing my story, I super I'm like, no, if cotton is in your name, you're either the abusive dad from King of the Hill. You're this bitch or you're going to be a bitch in my story because it's not good. Just Ooh. don't do it. The worst name you can give someone is Josh Cotton. Okay. Never do it. Yeah, that would be bad news. Bad news. Like that is like the worst. That is, you know, like that is the Antichrist. His name will be Josh Cotton. (laughs) Josh Cotton 2024. It's over. It's fucking over. (laughs) The world is ending. Yep. Cash in, cash in your retirement. We're not going to be here much longer yeah. because <laughs> you can't trust a Josh except for the wine, which is really good. Yeah, it's decent. Yeah. Uh, my fella, when we started dating, he got me a bottle of the Josh Cab Sauv mm-hmm. and I I started laughing really hard because I'm like, I have seen this wine. And I've purposely never bought it because of the name. Yep. Same. And he's like, what's so funny? And I had to explain it to him. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, hey, hey, no, 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 no. Never apologize for giving me wine. Also, I can deal with this, Josh. I know how to handle this, Josh. I'm going to come out on top on this one. I mean, maybe. If it's a red wine, you might get sick later. I was fine because I am a strong, powerful woman. (laughs) All right. So Mary Ann Cotton. Um, Gross. So she was originally born Mary Ann Robson. Uh, She was appropriately born on October 31st, 1832. Shut the fuck up. I forgot about that because I I wrote this a few weeks ago and I forgot that she was born on Halloween. I almost feel like if you're born on Halloween, you have to be the coolest person. Mm. Like, like it's almost like testing fate. Like if you're born on Christmas, you're terrible. I don't know. This, This lady's pretty terrible. Or like if you're born on independence day you're an anarchist you know i feel like it has to be the opposite of whatever that holiday or that day can you know denotes yeah yeah i don't think this lady read that memo she sucks 
Yeah, she kind of does. So she's she, ruining the holiday for everyone. <laughs> she was born in County Durham, which is in England, um, to Margaret and Michael Robson, who was, he was a coal miner. She was a housewife. He was a coal miner. They Good actually called him like a, a, like a, a collier. And I had to like Google what that was. And it's a coal miner. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to say coal miner because I'm not that fancy. They're trying to bouge up that that job title he's he's uh he's putting some linkedin spin on that right. well and he was specifically he wasn't even just a coal miner he was a coal miner that was like specialized in digging new mine shafts that is awful which also had a really fancy name but i was just like i simplified it to coal miner because i'm like that that kind of sums up how terrible his job was this this reminds me of the last time i put my resume together and i tried to really bouge up my like my last positions and like in the description you use all of these insane adjectives yep. for like and you hit all the buzzers I changed diapers and made sure kids didn't die <laughs> yep I was trained in life-saving techniques like yep. feeding children and not letting them kill themselves <laughs> I successfully kept alive several small children I successfully helped countless children continue to be alive no improve their lives by, by having to them live. continue to be alive yes. <laughs> no um, child was unalived on my watch there you go so not much is known about like the early early life of marianne um from the records i found she had one sister like a year or two after she was born but the sister didn't live long i mean it's you know the 1830s so um, yeah. And then she had one brother that was born about three years after her. And like he survived, but literally like I couldn't find anything else about him. So, and it's not about that, him. So that might be for the best. Yeah. That he's lived like a blissfully unnotable life. <laughs> right. Hopefully he changed his name and went underground. Not literally. I mean, you know, their, their maiden name isn't cotton. So I don't care. It's, it's still, you, you want to put a lot of distance. <laughs> That's true. You um, want to run so far away. So the family would move to the village of Merton um, when she was around eight. And her Sunday school superintendent would describe her as, quote, a most exemplary and regular attender, a girl of innocent disposition and average intelligence, and distinguished in her particularly clean and tidy appearance. Like, all right, those are weird things to get compliments on, but whenever, I guess it's Sunday school. Yeah. So whenever I hear that, like, oh, their teacher said this or their old classmate said this, I always want to know, like, when were you asked about this person? Yeah, before or like, after you found out the terrible, terrible things this person did. After the fact, or was this, like, in her little baby report card? I really hope or it they're was like, in her little baby report card. She's average, she, you know, she's of average intelligence, but damn, she's clean. <laughs> That's seriously like the best thing, though. I may we all strive to be of average intelligence and but damn cleanly. clean. Yeah, <laughs> cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, basically. I mean, yes, that is what they say, anyways. Um, so soon after they moved, uh, Marianne's father would fall to his death in one of the coal mines. Fuck! Shocking. Um, not I'm, really. I'm not surprised. I'm. I'm not angry. I'm like, just it's sad, but it's, yeah, it's not like shocking. I coal, coal mining and mining stories 
give me the heebie jeebies. I can't, I, I can't do it. It's, it's always centered around tragedy and death and is just like the worst possible job. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. That's, that's accurate. Like, I, I get the need. I get, you know, at a point, but like, fuck. The fuck. Going like the ground fuck. is hard because it doesn't want us to go into it. Yeah. So be the sad I find I found the sad I almost didn't include this, but I found the saddest part of the story to be the fact that her father's body was returned to them in a sack bearing a stamp that said property of the South Heaton Coal Company. Are you? <laughs> I'm okay. No, hold on. Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Yep. Yep. I'm like, I really hope they just like didn't have a sheet. And so they just picked something they had laying around. Not like an honest, like we own this person's body. (laughs) Wait, wait. So they, did they cover him in the, in the, they brought him back or in a sack that was labeled property of the South Heaton Coal Company. So they put his body in like some shitty burlap sack that said property of the mine that killed your husband. Yep. And just like dropped him on the doorstep like a bag of oranges. Yep. <laughs> that like, is here, your okay. husband died, by the way. The world, the world is not great now. And I completely acknowledge that. Um, this puts some things into perspective. Yep. Like people, people aren't dying on the job and then getting dropped off in a sack that says property of the company that killed you. At least I hope that's not happening. God, I could yeah, totally I really see hope something not. like that going down today, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, and the sad thing is, like, so obviously her dad was a miner, um, which means they live they the back then, like a lot of miners would live on property owned by the mining company. So that that means most likely there's no like direct records that state this, but most likely Marianne and her family were probably kicked out of their home once the dad died because they no longer had someone working at the mining company. So along with dropping the father's body off in a sack, they also nailed an eviction notice to the door. Yeah, basically. Okay. This company is not winning any prizes. This is why we need unions, folks. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is why we need an organized workforce because this is the darkest shit. And like, I love, I love, you know, the stories about like these serial killers, like a one-off, mur- you know, like true crime stuff. But the truly, like some of the most heinous stuff that has ever been committed has been by corporations and companies who have zero regard for human life. Yep. And measure success in dollar figures, even if that's if that success comes with a body count. Yep. They don't care. Oh, my God. Um, so soon after her mother would end up marrying another minor named George Stott. And in my mind, my own history had canon is that she just moved out of the one cabin and into another one. <laughs> like, that's my head canon. And that oh, she's yeah, like, well, definitely. I need somewhere to live with my kids. Like. Hey, you, you want to get married? Yeah, no. And actually that's um, during, during this period, like 
women were nothing without a man to support them. They they couldn't work or they didn't have good jobs, especially if you've got a bunch of fucking kids because there's yeah. no access to birth control. Yeah, luckily she only has the two, but yeah, like that's still entirely too many kids, like yeah. to be dealing with on your own. Um, and actually, like in the five that that book about uh, Jack the Ripper's five canonical victims, mm-hmm. they talk a lot about how these women would kind of align themselves with a man, and then they'd be called like mrs guy's last name even if they weren't married because that offered protection physically financially Mm -hmm. and like via their reputation like it was a survival tactic yeah oh yeah to align yourself with a man yeah Um, yeah no shade on her no not at all She's a survivor she gonna shack up gone with the minor from the next door now I love that. Um, so at 16, Marianne would leave home to become a nanny in the nearby village of South Hetton or Heaton. I don't know. Um, in the home oh, of cares. Edward Potter to his son, Harry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I have no uh, idea James what the Potter's kids' names father. were, but like, I just had to say that. We're, we're getting like, we're getting like pre-prequel. Yeah. Um, what were the Ed- grandparents up to? I want to hear their stories. Exactly. Edward uh, was also the uh, manager of a coal mine, a different coal mine, but still, there's a lot of coal miners in this story for some well, reason. And I mean, that would be a huge industry in a specific area. Like, yeah. And so my um, guess is she probably went to the town next door, which is still probably like coal country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, the UP of Michigan where we were traveling about there were there was tons of stuff about mining and copper and yep you, you could go and tour the old mines which yeah you go far enough north you hit the iron range oh yeah yeah no they're all they they love a good mine oh you know oh, those you know, folks up north they mine. love a good mine um <laughs> the children they long for the mines <laughs> Um, so after all the children, all of Edward's children had been sent off to boarding school over the next three years, Marianne would return home to her stepfather's home and train as a dressmaker because, you know, once the kids are out of the house, there's no place for a nanny anymore. So she had to go home. Um, so this leads us to 1852, a now 20 year old Marianne, um, would go on to marry a coal miner of her own. (laughs) His name was William Mowbray. And they would move out of like this um, northeast England and they would move southwest. So they'd go opposite corner. Um, They would have several children. Probably. So this is this is a little weird one because. According to several reports, they had several children, but um, that like supposedly they had like four or five, but they all died really young while they were. Um, living away from where they were born. None of the deaths or births were ever registered, even though at the time registration was compulsory, but like the law wasn't strictly enforced until 1874. So like they had a law that you're supposed to register when you, when you, when your kid dies. But like, even though people like there's reports of like people like being like, no, they definitely had kids and they definitely died. There's no, like, official records other than one. There's one official record of their daughter named Margaret Jane, born in 1856. I love the name Jane. I do, too. I really do. I I mean, I have to say, like, anyone who's tried to do the genealogy thing holds a personal grudge against the people of the past who 
didn't care to write anything down. Like our lives are so congested with paperwork, but at the same time, that documentation is so important. Right. Our like great, great grandkids are going to know what we ate every other day. Well, because I put it on the gram. Exactly. Yeah. Go look at my food blog. What Emily eats. It's just a bunch of pussies. Oh, nice. (laughs) I like that. That was good. I'm kidding. It's super not. Go subscribe to my OnlyFans. What Emily eats. (laughs) Oh, I like that even better. Forward Um, slash that hoe over there dot com. There you go. (laughs) William and Marianne would move back to Northeast England, um, where William would find work as a fireman aboard a steam vessel and then would become a coal mine foreman because that's what you do. Good for him. Good for him. They would have another daughter that was actually registered um, in 1858, but sadly Margaret Jane would die in 1860. They would have another daughter shortly after that in 1861, who they also named Margaret Jane. Oh! Like, okay, I'm not throwing shade. Like, I understand that people do this and it's like a memorial thing, but I also like, I don't understand like logically i understand that there are people in the world that do this but like not logically i'm like why why would you want to name a kid after a dead kid like yeah no and like uh, i would never like throw shade or judge anyone who is going through that kind of intense grief of losing a child and judge their their naming choices i just also have questions i'm not throwing shade i just have questions but also like, first of all, I do not trust this woman or where she's coming from at all. And that's just, mm, mm. yeah. Um, like, I know, like, I, and obviously everyone is different because that kind of grief is so extreme yeah. and you have no idea what it's going to do to you unless it happens. Um, but, you know, like, I've, I've known people who have had, stillbirths or miscarriages and they've named the child and they've named named them something like really unusual because they know they're never going to hear that name right so it's a really good memorial for them yeah but then they're they're not going to be at the park and hear someone yell jeremy and then they're like they're having a a breakdown yeah you know, and then there there are obviously people they they give their their child a very classic name, but they never reuse it yep. because that is that specific child's name, and to reuse that name is like a yeah. way of that's why I'm like I have questions. Like it's one yeah. thing if it's a parent or a sibling, like sibling of yours, and you you know they maybe they pass and you name your next kid in honor of them. But yeah, I'm like naming your kid after your other kid. Like I just. I'm not throwing shade. I, ju- I just don't understand. Well, and like the first Margaret Jane didn't get to reach adulthood. No. Nope. Yeah. She was it's... what? Four years old? Yeah. Four yeah, years old. Yeah. You know what? Um, Maybe they just didn't want to get new monogram towels. Yeah. They're like MJ. They're like we got the backpack. We got the pencil case where it all says Margaret Jane. I'm not fucking buying this shit again. It's like the people who name all of their kids with the same first letter. So they can all interchangeably use the monogrammed crap. <laughs> yep. They would also go on to have a son named John Robert William, um, but he would die within a year from gastric fever. So I tried to look up like what gastric fever is because I'm like, what? Um, I think it's also just an intestinal thing. But if you Google gastric fever, it comes up with typhoid. Okay. 
So, so, so one of those diseases that was pretty prevalent back then is supposedly what he died from. I thought you were going to say if you Google Google gastric fever, um, you have to burn your computer because the images that would come up are unholy and you can never no, use th- the computer th- again. I did, I it's like I burn on image the search. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. You keep talking. I'm going to Google image search gastric fever because this is an old laptop and I need to upgrade anyway. Right. You're like uh, insurance claim, right? Um, so yeah. no, it was a work work related hazard. Yeah. So John William, John Robert William, the son would die shortly after. And then William, the father, <laughs> face Emily is me. No, I mean, for most for the most part, it's not graphic, but there are some close ups of what the bacteria looks like. And just imagining that in your intestines, like makes me I'm assuming it's of like typhoid. Yeah. Bacterium. Yeah. No, it makes my butt itch and I don't appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're kind of. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was going to be worse, it. but now we know. We we have stared into the void and it, and it was wasn't bad. Fever. Um, so. The father, William, would die of an intestinal disorder um, a, a year later. And, of course, the lives of William and their children, so including John, who died, were insured by British and Prudential Insurance Offices, and Marianne would collect a payout of £35 on William's death, which is the equivalent to about £3,500 now, maybe a little bit over, um, which is about, at that time, about half a year's wages for a manual laborer. Okay, I'm like, you need to put this into perspective because I'm like, okay, well, that's maybe $6,000, but that's still fucking nothing. Right. So it's 35 pounds for William and 25 pounds for John Robert William. So she got two different like insurance payouts because the son and the, the, her husband died. You know what they really should try to do is just like eat all natural and like Stay away from preservatives. Yeah, right. The water. They're probably watering the crops with probably as typhoid. Yeah. (laughs) Typhoid is everywhere. It Um, is. It's it's in your blood. Do cocaine about it. Soon after uh, William's death, so her first husband, Marianne, would move to Seaham Harbor, where she would strike up a relationship with Joseph Natras, which that's a name. Natras. I actually love that last name. Natras. 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 It, it feels like you have to say it like you can't just be like, oh hi, Joseph. Natras. Right. Um during this time, her second her second Mary Jane, or Margaret Jane, sorry, um, who was three and a half years old at this time, uh, would die of typhus or gastric fever. Oh so at my this god. Point, <laughs> at this point, she is only with one child um of up to possibly nine that she has had at this point. Because remember, there was the four to five. Right. That may have happened and may not have happened. Okay, wait. So she still has a living child right she now. She still has one. She has um, uh, Isabella. Okay. I'm concerned for Isabella. Yep. So she lost the first Margaret Jane, the second Margaret Jane, and her son. Isabella is still alive. And then there was potentially like four or five more kids that may or may not have existed. Do, do you think she started doubling up on the names? Because okay. then when she starts counting, like the dead children on her hand. She just has to count Margaret Jane once. Yeah. And just put up two fingers. <laughs> Margaret Jane. It just like makes it look a lot less suspicious. Yeah. Um, so she, she would return to Sunderland and take up employment at the Sunderland infirmary house of recovery for the cure of contagious fever dispensary and humane society. That is the entire title. 
Try putting that on a t-shirt for your fundraising events. S I H R C C F D H. That's the even the acronym is entirely too long for logic. At this time, she would send her surviving child, Isabella, to live with her mother. Probably a good thing. Thank God. Yeah. So during her time working at the infirmary, she would meet a man named George Ward, and they would marry shortly thereafter. George Ward! In 1865. After this marriage, so he was sick. Like, obviously, he met her in the infirmary. Wait, wait. What happened to Nazrat? They were were just lovers. They never got married. Oh. Okay, they just stooped. They just okay. stooped. Um, okay. Love a this, good stoop. Yeah. So George Ward was already like sick. He was in the infirmary, but they still got married. And after his, after marriage, his health really never improved, and he would die about a year after they got married. Um, after a long illness, mainly characterized by paralysis and intestinal problems, the cause of death recorded on his death certificate in English is that of cholera and typhoid. The attending doctor later gave evidence, so I'm assuming when it says later gave evidence, it's at her trial, um, that Ward had- Wait, that, wait, you mean she's not a great gal? No. <laughs> that George had <laughs> been very ill, yet he had still been surprised that his death was so sudden. At this point, okay. Mary- What? No, I, I was just going to say, you know you're being sus when someone who's already super sick in the hospital dies and the doctors are like, Okay, even I'm surprised. Right. (laughs) Like, he was sick, yeah, but man, like, that was was quick. Um, But, like, in the 1800s, too, where you could die from, like, someone looking at you wrong. You know, it's like, even the doctors are like... Let's go, my my, my typhoid didn't didn't like that look. Uh, I'm gonna go die, guys. Yeah, but the the doctor is like, he didn't just die, he fucking died. (laughs) Um, So, once again, Marianne would collect life insurance uh, money because he was her husband, and then move right along. So, there was a man named James Robinson. He was a shipwright, and he found himself in need of a housekeeper after his wife passed away. He would find Marianne and hire her. And a month later, James's baby, John, died of gastric fever. <gasps> yeah. The baby from his widow? Yep. Oh, man, and you know she fucking oh, died yeah. in childbirth. Uh, obviously distraught, he would seek comfort in the arms of Marianne, which of course, due to, you know, it being 1850s, would result in her getting pregnant. Because when I say he sought comfort in the arms of Marianne, I mean they had sex. in her pussy. Yes. Hey, grief takes a lot of forms. Yeah, I mean, it know? does. I'm not, I'm not blaming him and... Sometimes a really I don't good like Marianne <laughs> helps you with great loss. <laughs> it is true. And like, I mean, there is there is comfort in connection, however you choose yeah. to find it. Uh, like, you know, what's? I just got to say, so. Marianne is. Literally and figuratively slaying dick. Yeah. Left and right. And I don't know if like guys were just really hard up for a woman to take care of them at the time. But, like, I can't slay dick like this. I'm sure you could and You I, could if you tried. I'm a relatively stable human being. <laughs> right. You know? it, it's, it's interesting because when I look at, like, there are two pictures of her out there. One is when she's, like, older. Um, and then one must be when, like, one, she looks very severe and angry. And then one, she looks a little older. And I'm like, okay, so she's not, like... 
conventionally attractive. I mean, I guess maybe she was in the 1850s. But yeah, so I'm just like, I yeah, I find it interesting that it's just super easy. Maybe she was just that good. Maybe her pussy was just that good. I just like, I don't know, to have have the gift of gab or the charm or, you know, just that that it factor. Like, yeah, I definitely I would don't love have to it. tap that energy, but for good. Right. Like, let me use it to, like, get shit done in the world. Yeah. Also, all like, the all the I color think- photographs, if you if you Google it, all the color photographs are from, like, an uh a movie adaption. That's not oh, okay. actually. That's a movie. I mean, adaption. I could I could use my sexuality to craft world peace. Yeah, right. I'm just saying, sociopaths are just using their sexuality for all the wrong reasons. We could be living in fucking Jetson land if sociopaths use their charisma for the good. And I mean, of some all. of them do. Some of them are CEOs of companies. They're not good. We just talked about dropping off bodies in burlap. That was in 1850, sacks. Emily. We're, we're moving on. Don't you fucking tell. So she's so she's pregnant. Uh, James. So she hasn't married James or anything. She's still just like his housekeeper. So during this time, Marianne's mother became ill with hepatitis. This one I can say was not Marianne's fault <laughs> because she wasn't there. But yep. because she became ill with hepatitis, Marianne was like, oh, my gosh, I have to go care for my mom. And went and cared for her mother. And although her mother had begun to recover, she soon began to complain of stomach pains. And she would die nine days after Marianne showed up. Also, all I can think of every time I say Marianne is the, the, I want to say the Dixie Chicks, but they're called the Chicks now. All I can think of is their song, Goodbye Earl, where they talk about a woman named Marianne. And that's all I can think of. All I can think of is Gilligan's Island. Oh, yeah. Marianne, Marianne. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, her mom died. She was only 54. Uh, yeah. But the little little suspicious uh, that uh, Marianne shows up and nine days later her mom dies. But anyways, that so, would oh, mean. Re- re- really quick. I, I don't want to ruin the narrative for anyone, but um, we know she's killing these people, right? Like I can yeah. say it now. Yes, you can say it. Okay. Um, how fucked up is it that the woman who dealt with her husband dying and being dropped off in a sack and then being evicted in, right. in my head, it all happened in the same day. Well, um, and she's and taking having, care of Marianne's daughter, like all of this stuff. Yeah, like she is, she's taking care of these two kids. She's finding a new man to support them because she absolutely had to at the time. She's taking care of Marianne's kids. Yeah. And you fucking kill her. Yeah. How dare you? Come on, Marianne. Like, like, all of this is abhorrent, but that, I don't know, that I'm like, okay. Right, like. You're a real bitch now. Come on, matricide. Look, come on. Well, your mom is taking care of your fucking kids. Right. So you can stuff other men, I mean, it's, get it's only one their kid. babies, and then kill them. Yeah. But speaking of that one kid, this, of course, meant that Isabella had to go home with her mother. No. Um, Which home, like, Marianne went to like kill her mom and then she came back and she's still living with James Robinson. Um, so soon after returning home um, with her mother, Isabella would develop severe stomach pains and would die along with two of James's other children from his previous marriage. Oh my. You know, there's okay. just clearly something in the water that Marianne put there. Um, 
To be fair, typhoid does travel in the it water. It does, but also Marianne. <laughs> Marianne also travels in the water. Yeah. Um, so all three children were buried within two weeks of each other. Um, obviously, Marianne only had life insurance on Isabella because that was her only kid. Um, but yeah, uh, in a shocking turn of events, at least I find it a shocking turn of events, um, James would uh, then marry <laughs> Marianne um, because, you know, he needed he still needed that comfort. He just he's sad. I mean, and that's true. He probably is sad, but I don't know. That just seems <laughs> like a weird time to get married. She's also pregnant with his baby. Yep. And I think that's a big thing because um, to be fair. So pregnancies out of wedlock, the responsibility for that primarily fell was on, all the on the woman. mother. Yeah. But if he's a, a man of any kind of status, yep. like he it's it's going to And he, look he a probably lot at least has money because he's hiring a housekeeper like Yeah. You know, yeah. Anyways, so they would get married and then their first child who they would name Margaret Isabella. Oh my god. Okay, I thought you were going to say Margaret Jane no, again. And I'm like But Isabella to- was her other daughter that died. I know, but <laughs> so she's just okay, like I'm just combining Mar- names now. To- fucking stop with these names (laughs) um so she was born in november and would become an would become ill and die by february yep uh within the next year they would have a second child george who um would actually be okay for a while actually he's okay (laughs) isn't george the name of one of her like former lovers or husbands Um, or something George was the husband that was in the infirmary that she married, and then he died suddenly, and the doctor was like, uh, yeah. Dude, yep. Marianne. George was also the name of her stepfather, too. Marianne so. gives zero fuck. I know George was a very common name, but seriously, Marianne gives zero fuck. Yeah, right? So um, during this time, James had become really suspicious because Marianne kept insisting that he get, like, a good life insurance policy, and he was like, that's kind of weird. Like, I'm a healthy adult male. Like, why? Like, there's no risk of, like, I'm not a coal miner. <laughs> there's, you know, like, there's there's not a big risk of me, like, getting sick and dying. Like, that's kind of weird. He would then proceed to find out that she had run up debts of 60 pounds behind his back and had stolen more than 50 pounds from him that she had been expected to put in the bank. Okay, really quick. In Mary Ann's defense... It is the 1800s. Oh, right. You like, can die of fucking anything. So if she wasn't. I mean, maybe a murderer, if she wasn't already super sus. Like very, very prudent decision. Like right. if you're if you're married, like you should have life insurance. You should take care of that. You know. Yep. Like be, be responsible. Um, but yeah, no, we, we know Marianne's yeah. game at this point. Um, so not only was he stealing money from him, but then he found out Marianne had been forcing his older children, because he did still have some other children, to pawn household items that were valuable for money. At oh, this and point, she's trying to be sneaky by being like, the kids did it. Right. At this point, he threw her ass out of the house, but oh retained my custody of their remaining child, George. So... Thank you, James, for being a good father and being like, get your ass out, but I'm keeping our son. But you it also like in the to James. There's there's like that little voice in the back of my head that's like, would he have done the same if it was a daughter? I like to think so. And you, know what? you never you know. know. What? He's not the murderer in the story, so, so I'm we're gonna just say gonna James. say good job, James. 
James gets the king crown of the story. Uh, he's the antithesis of the Josh. He's yeah. the anti-Josh Cotton <laughs> in our story. Yeah. So obviously at this point, like she literally got kicked out of her house. Marianne would end up living on the streets and becoming quite desperate. At this point, one of her friends, Margaret Cotton, Jesus Christ, Margaret was a common name. Um, God fucking damn it. Yep. <laughs> Margaret Cotton would introduce her to her brother, Frederick, who she was taking care of. By trade, he was a pit man. And I looked up what a pit man was because I'm like, oh, is this something like weird and interesting that I've never heard of? No, it is a man that works in or by or around a pit. It is so exactly what it sounds like, except it's one word. Oh, my God. I was like, all I'm right. I'm surprised we don't see that more as a last name. Like we see Baker and Mason and. Well, yeah. And we've talked you know. about how like a lot of those son, like Frederick's son and stuff like that came from yeah. families literally being like, yeah. Anyways, Pittman yeah. Pittman is a, is a last name. Wow. But yeah. So he was a Pittman and he was a widower and he had also lost two of his four children. So I guess they have something to bond over. Not that I'm, oh I'm not okay. Like God. child death is very, very sad. And like, I I do wonder if that's why like Margaret was like, oh, like meet my brother. Like he's also lost a spouse and children. You've lost a spouse and children. Like comfort yeah. one another. Margaret's just trying to be like the fulcrum in their rom-com story. Right. And she, she doesn't realize it's a thriller. Yep. Yeah. And Margaret had, I, I also wonder if Margaret had like an ulterior motive because um, after Frederick's wife died, Margaret had been acting as a substitute mother for his two remaining children, Frederick Jr. and Charles. Um, so I kind of wonder if she was like, hey, Marianne, like, Take these kids off my hand. But uh, um, unfortunately, uh, okay. she wouldn't get a choice because she would die from an undetermined stomach ailment. Are you fucking kidding me? Yep. Apparently she was competition. I was, I was totally like siding with Margaret because like at this time. Oh, yeah. Like I need to go out and find my own husband. I can't be taking care of my brother and his children. Yeah, because at this time, men were just like useless when it came to that kind of thing. Yep. They, they could go into the ground, they could work by pits, but ask them to be a father, it was a non-starter. Yeah. Ask them to cook a meal, absolutely not. Right. So Margaret, again, is also just trying to be like, I need to find a, a woman person. to take care of you. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the world we live in. And so I can go find my own man to take care it. of. Yep. And Marianne uh, kills her. Um, poor Margaret. But, you know, because with Margaret dead, that, that left a Big opening for Marianne to once again get Frederick into her arms to console him. And soon she was pregnant with her 12th-ish child. Yeah. Oh, my God. So Frederick Sr. and Marianne uh, would get bigamously married. Because remember, James threw her out of the house, but they never got divorced. Oh. So Marianne is still married. So that's why it's a bigamous marriage, because she's still married. <laughs> Remember, they weren't writing shit down. You could die and no one's going to bother to write it down. Right. Um, so they would get married and they would have their first child, Robert, um, soon after that. Soon after, after that, um, Marianne would learn that her former lover, you know, Natras. Uh, That's right. He's still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. Was living just a short 30 miles away, just one village over in West Auckland. That's and he, farther and, than I put on the, the radius for my hinge profile. Yeah, 30 miles. <laughs> um, I don't fucking have time for this. Yeah. And he found out, or she found out that he was no longer married. So she was like, hey, 
So she would rekindle. So she's bigamously married. So she's technically married to James. She's also married to Frederick. And now she's stooping. She's back to stooping Natras. Oh, Natras, you deserve so much better. This is where we're at. Um, Babe, let me take care of you. I got you. Right? So not only was she stooping him, but she also would persuade Frederick, his two kids from a previous marriage and her her kid with him to move closer to make this easier on her of course like i'm sure he didn't know that but yeah they moved closer so that you know they they moved within your hinge profile distance (laughs) okay you know when we're when it's not october and we're talking about women who didn't murder a bunch of people um it's always like she wanted to pursue a career in education. The guy was like, you can't do that. So it didn't happen. Right. This is but like she just wants bitch, to have sex with a bunch of people. And yeah, apparently this, it can happen. This bitch is slaying dick all across the country and convincing her husband to move closer to her side piece. Yep. What is she? <laughs> uh, shockingly, shortly after moving, um, her husband would die. <laughs> of gastric fever oh my god yeah yeah so after frederick's death death natras would soon move into marianne's house of course as her lodger you know they're not mm-hmm. seeing each other he, he's just he just needs a place to live yeah, um, yeah he's just renting a room don't worry it doesn't matter what we're doing in that room Sex. exactly um she would gain employment as a nurse to an excise offer officer recovering from smallpox so there's a little bit of like historical questions of who this excise officer was because a lot of like cultural sources have called him John quick Manning, but um, like records reviews that people have done um, through different things of like trying to trace this person down, even using like census records, birth, death, marriage, all of that, like show nobody named John quick Manning. And so like people are like, "Mm, that's not right. Maybe, maybe that was like the John Doe of their time. Quick Quick Manning was completely made up. Nope. Because there was a man named Richard Quick Man. So I guess Quick Manning was made up. So it was Richard Quick Man, who was also a custom and excise officer spe- specializing in breweries. Um, and they did find like records of him being in that area around the time. So most likely he was the one that would become Marianne's lover and get her pregnant. Okay, who was... Um- who was the Union soldier that I covered uh, where she masqueraded as a man to join the Union and her name was like Catherine Williams? Yep. So she's like, William What's Catherine. My name? Yep. Will Catherine. Yeah. I don't fu- like that is the laziest shit I have ever heard. Yeah. Um, Fucking try harder. <laughs> yep. So she's stooping Natras and now she's stooping a man named Richard Quick Man who has gotten her pregnant. 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 No, I I love I love pregnant. Pregnant. That was a complete it, slip of the Okay, time. okay. Because like, I'm almost if, done with my like massive glass of wine that I've been drinking. Yeah, no, I'm um so I'm drinking out of a wine glass that my friend gave me when she moved. Um it says in dog wines, I've only had one. Nice. <laughs> um Shit, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, pregnant. That that's I know neither of us want to have children, but if either of us ever did, it would be a pregnancy announcement. Yeah, it would be a pregnancy. And then I'd like 
put on Facebook, like, I'm pregnant. And just see what people say. Just be like, do you mean pregnant? Like, no, it's nope. pregnant. It's pregnant. Don't worry about because it. Because I resent being pregnant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, like, I regret. I do like pregnant. There's a, there's a, YouTube, there's a, pu- pregante was another one I've heard. There's a guy on YouTube that, like, will read, like, when people misspell and he has one all on like how people have misspelled pregnant. And that's, those are yes. some, of, some of my favorite ones. Um, okay. So it's Marianne's pregnant. Like shit. I didn't want to be pregnant. Yep. So Marianne's pregnant. She's stripping two different men. She's dealing with um, Frederick's two children, her own child, you know, all of this stuff. And then suddenly Frederick jr. Would die. And then the infant Robert, who was her and Frederick Sr.'s child, would die soon after. As Natras is there comforting Marianne, he too would become ill with gastric fever and would die. Right after revising his will to Marianne, of course. God damn it. Like During this okay. time, Marianne also took out a life insurance on Charles's life who is the other kid that Frederick senior's other kid who's still alive. Uh, yeah. Oh, and my so that's still a waiting God. collection because he's not dead yet. Oh my God. So within like, like a few she's months, so brazen. Yeah. Within a few months, her, her dead husband, one of her dead husband's kids die. Her kid dies. One of her lovers dies and she's just like, well, I'm taking care of my dead husband's other child, but I'm going to get life insurance on that child, too. So here's here's another thing um, that I think would be considered a more modern case. Obviously, um, the death of a child and infant mortality rates at this time were incredibly high. So it made it would make sense to take out life insurance and yep. pay for a funeral like that's incredibly expensive. but. The idea of, I, I wonder how much these life insurance policies were relative to what you would take out on a wage earning adult. Yeah, exactly. Because that's one of the things in like, in, in modern cases, they're like, wow, the life insurance policy for that five-year-old was, was extreme, ridiculous. Yeah. Because it's one thing if a primary wage earner is no longer around and you need to not only pay for the funeral, but like live totally for a few months rebuild your yeah. life but with a child really it's just the funeral yep and maybe a lot of therapy but still yeah so i i'm curious if she thought about that or if anyone would even think of that or look at it i don't know i'm we'll really see. excited for her to get caught yes. i'm ready and for that, that we're, we're in the marianne's downfall era now thank god i love that for her right so in Marianne's parish, there was a man named Thomas Riley um, who asked Marianne, knowing she was a nurse, to help a woman who was ill with smallpox. She's like, hey, like, can you come be a nurse for someone? And she was like, you know, I really can't because I'm taking care of, like, my my dead husband's son and he's kind of in the way. And and so, so, so like, if you commit him to a workhouse, like, if you take this kid away from me, then, yeah, of course I can help this sick woman. Um um, Thomas was kind of like, um, well, you can take him to the workhouse, but like you, you need to accompany him as like his mother. Like you can't just like leave him there. 
I, um, I know it's the 1800s and people are definitely just dropping their kids off places and never coming back, but please don't do that. Right. <laughs> um, also, like, just as a side note, this guy, Thomas Riley, is also the town's coroner, so we're, or assistant coroner, so, like, that's going to come back around. But when when he told her, like, hey, like, you have to accompany your son or, like, you know, like, drop him off, pick him up kind of a thing. You can't just, like, bring him there and leave him. She tells Thomas, like, hey, like, the boy's really sick and said, quote, I won't be troubled long. He'll go like all the rest of the cottons. This um, bitch to gives quote, zero fucks. To quote one of my favorite podcasts slash uh, YouTube shows, uh, don't talk to people about your crimes. Don't write down your crimes. Don't hint at your crimes. This is this is something that's, that you see as a pattern, though. When someone has gotten away with something for so long, they become very arrogant. They become yeah, very loose They just lit. don't care. Because it keeps working out. Exactly. And they're I'm like, sure no one's caught had, me yet. And I'm sure she's had some near misses or some people ask questions up until this point. And it's been fine. So she's feeling untouchable. Oh, yeah. So. F- and I, I, I bet she got off saying that to the fucking coroner. Right. So just five days later, Marianne would tell uh, Thomas that the boy had died. Thomas would go to the village police and convince the doctor to delay writing the death certificate so that they could investigate the death. He's like, okay, like, I understand you saying, like, he's sick, but, like, I'm a little concerned. Like, because you wanted to get rid of him, and then you told me he was going to die. Like, he told me he was basically going to die, and yeah. So he he did an investigation, and, of course, Marianne, afterward, his her first death wasn't to the doctor or to any place else after her child died. But immediately to the insurance office. Like, come on. That is a rookie mistake, bitch. Well, and there she would discover that they had no money to give her because the death certificate was not issued. It was under investigation. So there was an inquest and the jury would come back in a verdict of natural causes, which like given the time and stuff like that, like if literally all you're doing is looking at a kid's body being like this, these are the findings and you're not like looking at this person's history as a whole. Like, that makes sense. Like, this isn't a a trial. This is a, did this person die of natural causes or not? Exactly, exactly. And it was kind of like, you know, the angel angel makers of Nagarev? Yeah. Um, The the midwife who kind of orchestrated a lot of that, or at least gave out the handbook for murdering your spouse, she was like, no, no, no. You totally can't tell that someone died of arsenic. Well, you totally can. It's just that no one checked for it. Until things got really, really suspicious. And then they started digging up all these people and being like, oh, my God, look at all of this arsenic. Right. Um, So, yeah, she wasn't super happy uh, like until like, yes, they came back natural causes. And Marianne was able to be like, well, I did use some drugs like I gave him arrowroot to relieve to like relieve his illness And the only reason Thomas, you know, made these accusations against me was because like he came on to me and I rejected him. And I like part of me is like you would not have rejected him. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Like Marianne. uh, You know what? I'm just going to let go. I'm not going to slut shamer. uh, No, exactly. And like I wasn't slut shaming either. I'm just like, "Mm, I don't think you would have. And that's not a a bad thing. The game is her talking about what Marianne won't do. Right. (laughs) So. There were people in the town that just wouldn't let this go, particularly the local newspaper. Oh, damn. They would pick up the story and kind of just like 
latch onto it like a, a good old leech coming out of the lake. Um, and they would discover that Marianne had moved f- around northern England, southwestern England, had lost three husbands, a lover, a friend, her mother, and at least 11 children, all to stomach fevers or some sort of gastric problem. They, they write, we know that this is ye old 1800s, but even this is a bit much. Due to the local newspaper, obviously, like the townspeople started talking about it and rumors arose. Rumors would give rise to suspicion and suspicion would give rise to investigation. Thank God. So a doctor this is named the one time where like village gossip is actually a right? really good thing. So Dr. William Byers Kilburn, which I love that name. Um, Kilburn. He was like the physician that had attended to Charles like when he was sick. And as a smart doctor, I would say he kept some of the samples that he had and tests that he had given Charles like when he was sick and reviewing the tests and like retesting the samples showed that the boy had been dosed with arsenic. Speaking of arsenic. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, because I was because actually, arsenic I was... causes, like, a lot of gastric problems. The like, whole time, I'm like, problems. is she using arsenic? Is she using something else? Like, I wasn't sure. You know, some wow. men just can't hold their arsenic. Yeah, it coming. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so the doctor would tell the police who would arrest Marianne and then obviously be like, okay, like we need your permission to technically exhume the body, but also kind of not. So we're going to exhume the body of your child. So like, hey, it would be great if you let us exhume the body, but and we're going to do, do it anyway because you're a woman and you have no rights. Right. Also, we're like, also, you're, in, sure you're you going to jail. People. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so they would exhume Charles's body and she would be charged with his murder although the the trial was delayed because she had to give birth to her last child this God one she would name margaret it. shockingly margaret edith quick manning cotton uh, margaret edith quick manning cotton yep even though quick manning wasn't even the guy's real name so <laughs> that's kind of funny um but yeah margaret edith quick manning cotton what is with her the her she really just the likes Margaret the name Margaret is really upsetting to me and that she keeps re yeah I mean that also was her Jane. mother's name yeah it, like I would really be curious to know more about her past like is she just yeah. trying to kill her mother over and over possibly probably not she probably is doing it for the money we'll talk about that in our history okay. happening about why women kill um well it's about female serial killers but yeah anyway so she would be charged with murdering but it would get delayed because she had baby Uh, so it eventually begin um on the 5th of march 1873 um there was that's well that's what it was supposed to start but then there was another delay because um people couldn't choose who would prosecute this case there was a guy named mr aspinwall who was first considered but then the attorney general sir john duke coleridge stepped in and was like, nah, my friend and this guy that I've been training named Charles Russell, like, he's going to be the one to prosecute this case. So, uh, Mr. Aspinwall, you can just uh, leave. I Okay, I just want someone to whisper these names in my ear when I'm close to climax. Okay. All of these names are I'll, just I'll do some so recording delicious. for you and send them to Kurt. Or your fella, You're going to be my ASMR mommy. Yeah, I will 1,000% do that for you. Um so Charles Russell um, took the case and um, went forward with the prosecution. Here's the interesting part about this. 
So the Marianne Cotton case was the first of several famous poisonings that he would be involved in during his career. I'm like, is that just your shtick? You prosecute poisoners? Are we sure he wasn't the poisoner? Yeah, right. Maybe it was him and he was just like, guys, I I can do this. I've dealt with poisoners before as he's like hiding a bottle of arsenic behind his back. Um, Anyways. Mary Marianne's defense was handled by a man named Thomas Campbell Foster, who would argue during the trial that um, her the son Charles had died from inhaling arsenic. Yes, but because it was used as a dye in the green wallpaper of the cotton home, not because his mom actually dosed him with it. Oh, my God. I covered that. Yeah. Paris Green yep. in my Herstory Happenings bonus episode that you can get access to for as little as one dollar a month if you join right. our Patreon. There was another inconsistency in the testimony slash what could have possibly happened in that the doctor, um, the doctor testified that there were no other powders on the same shelf in the chemist shop as arsenic, only other liquids. However, the chemist himself who owned the shop was like, no, there were definitely other powders on the shelf. Like there is definitely a chance that I could have potentially or not he didn't say this but like the defense uh, um, attorney was like there like there was bismuth powder which is used to treat diarrhea so like if your kid's having intestinal distress an actual thing you might treat them with and so like the defense is like you know there is a chance that the chemist could have just grabbed the wrong powder so that's a lot of coincidences though right uh the jury would retire for for, children's exactly Exactly. Like, I'm like, well, and it's interesting because sometimes in murder cases, um, they can't bring history into it. It depends on the murder case. And I I couldn't find in this one if they were allowed it or not. But there was enough going around in public speculation that everyone probably knew about it. Um, Yeah. I mean, I can see in this case, she hasn't been charged with the murder of any of the other children. They're just talking about this specific one. Exactly. And really, the defense's only job their job is not to explain it away or point to a real culprit. Their job is to put enough doubt in the minds of the jury where they're like, okay, I totally get and kind of believe what you're saying, but right. And it's a big, but, but it's possible. This was an accident. Right. And it's like, like the part where it's like, okay, like the fact that the chemist admitted that there was other powders on the shelf, like that would give me pause. But yeah, if they brought in like the history, I would be like, nah, she definitely killed him. So yeah. Anyways, the jury would, would, um, debate for only 90 minutes, which I feel like for a murder case is incredibly short, uh, before returning a guilty verdict. (laughs) So, you know, um, the times correspondent that was reporting on the trial said this quote, after conviction, the wretched woman exhibited strong emotions, but this gave place in a few hours to her habitual cold, reserved demeanor, and while she harbors a strong conviction that the royal clemency will be extended towards her, she staunchly asserts her innocence of the crime that she has been convicted of. Well, I never. Exactly. Uh, yeah. There were, like, she did petition the Home Secretary several times, you know, to try and get her sentence overturned but to no avail mary ann cotton was hanged at durham county goal or jail on march 24th 1873 by a man named william calcroft like i like that they write like who the hangman was anyway they wrote everything down except when a child died uh in per- probably like the worst thing but also you know she kind of deserves it she died not from her neck breaking 
but from strangulation caused by the rope being too short, possibly deliberately. That was that was such a common thing, though, because but the there were hangmen that did do it deliberately. Well, I mean, I think it's possible. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to discount that. But that's such a common thing that you see. And that's actually why nobility it was it was a privilege to be executed by beheading because it was a lot more reliable. I would 1000% choose beheading. It's quick okay. and it's over with. To be fair, there are a lot of really terrible stories about the Yeah, the, the axe not going all the way through drunk. and blah 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 blah. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no. It's um Yeah, I think I take that over the hanging. That's that's really it frightening. It takes a long time to strangle sometimes. Anyways, and they don't um, just shoot you, man. They just let you hang there and they all watch you. Right, they just stare. Anyways, so of Marianne's 13 recorded children, potentially more, two of them did survive her. Margaret Edith, the one that she had right before going to trial, and her yep. son George, who James, her who her previous husband James had, you know, been like, fuck no, you're not taking this child. So she did have two surviving children. So there has been some, like, modern adaptions of this story in 2015. There was a two-part television drama named Dark Angel, which is a lot of, like, like I said, if you Google her, the redhead person in a bonnet, the colored photos, that's from that. It's from Dark Angel. Um, and then there is also, or no, it's inspired by a book named Marianne Cotton, Britain's first female serial killer, um, who, which was written by a criminologist, which is cool. Um, one of, one of the things that I found interesting, and this is my last thing, is, uh, shortly after Marianne died by hanging, uh, there was a little, um, I hate that they call them nursery rhymes, but there was a nursery rhyme developed about her, and it is this. Marianne Read Cotton. Read it to me, babe. Okay. <laughs> Marianne Cotton, she's dead and she's rotten, lying in bed with her eyes wide open. Sing, sing, oh, what should I sing? Marianne Cotton, she's tied up with string. Where, where, up in the air, selling black puddings a penny a pair. Marianne Cotton, she's dead and forgotten, lying in bed with her bones all rotten. Sing, sing, what can I sing? Marianne Cotton tied up with string. Okay, I kind of love that. Yeah, I do too. I like the last part. She's dead and forgotten. I'm like, fuck yeah. Because like you you think of the Lizzie Borden nursery rhyme, like Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Then you count up all your, you know, jumping rope. None of that is like, and then she suffered for her crime. Yeah, this, this is very like much Marianne is. Cotton fucking sucks and she's rotting underground. Fuck her. Yeah. Yep. And she's tied up with string. Ugh. I mean, this reminds me of like Ring Around the Rosie. Because I'm like, yeah. that. it doesn't seem plague. dark. Like when you're a kid chanting it, you're like, oh, this isn't that bad. And then you like hear about the, <laughs> that it's about the black plague and you're like, I'm singing about children dying. Great. One of my favorite things was telling schoolagers what that nursery rhyme meant. You're such a lovely person. Okay, I wasn't telling preschoolers. It was like five years old and up. Mm. Yeah, because five-year-olds want to know about the Black Plague. Okay, they deserve to know. (laughs) This isn't about what they want. It's about what they deserve. I'm not going to hold... I'm not going to withhold knowledge. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. 
And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. Emily, who are you whining about? Or what are you whining about? What group project are you whining about today? So today is not a group project. Oh, that's um, It's about a single individual. Although the people who victimized her definitely took a group project kind of standpoint to it. Uh, so today I am whining about Mary Webster, the Witch of Hadley. Why does that name sound familiar? I think I know who you're talking about. You listen to Lore? No. Lore, Lore does a really good episode on this. And actually, I heard it ye- years and years ago. I heard the, ep- the Lore episode about this. And then when I was trying to think of topics to cover, I was like, I literally Googled like general synopsis of the story lore. And that's how I was able to find the actual name because Mary Webster is not a kind of name that really sticks in your head. And you're like, I know that. I mean, I did do a history happening about witches. So like maybe that's where I heard the name from. Maybe, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. I mean, she's titled a witch. So it'll be a fun little adventure for both of us. I have a dog that's like, Mom, love me. Yeah, she's And I'm like, you breathe too you. loudly into the microphone. She's coming off as a little bit needy, and I don't think she would be really good as a podcast partner because I'm definitely less than less needy. Like I'm still needy, <laughs> but like less than your dog. Boop. <laughs> also, I feel like this episode is sponsored by Cheez Its. You know, it's funny. Those are really old and gross. I know. I tried one earlier, and I was like, "This." this." Actually, I tried one last time we recorded, and I was like, "This." I regret this, and I just I haven't taken the trash out yet today. It's okay, but I keep staring at the cheese it box and trying to think of a pun to go with it. So maybe it'll come to me. We'll see. So, in many ways, Mary Webster's story is the archetypal witch tale. An older single woman is accused of witchcraft by small-minded puritanical men in a small New England colony and subsequently hanged. And while every story of someone murdered due to baseless accusations of witchcraft deserves to be told, Mary stands out because as her story follows an all-too-familiar pattern, it sharply deviates from a story of victimization to endurance. Ooh. 
Dun, Hopefully. Dun, dun. I'm hoping it's a good thing. So, oh my God. Hold on. I don't know how to scroll my page. What? It's it's fine. Don't worry. If, right. if I if I just like hit the little scroll thing, it's like, oh, you mean go to the next page? And I'm like, absolutely not. So Mary Webster was born in England sometime between 1617 and 1624. England or New England? No, just England. Oh. Like old England. OG England. Yeah. The yeah. England I was just talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kelly's England. Um, at some point, uh, the family, which include her father and brother, both named Thomas Reeve, <laughs> and her mother, Hannah Reeve, immigrated to the English colonies in what is present-day Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay. One of the many what? Springfields <laughs> that the Simpsons could take place in. You know, there's, you know, like one in every state. It's fine. Okay, so growing up, I didn't know that. And the capital of Illinois is Springfield. And I always thought it was so cool that the Simpsons took place in Illinois until I learned that the joke was it is completely. It could be anywhere. You can't tell because there's so many Springfields. And I'm like, okay, but it takes place in Illinois. (laughs) So fuck off. (laughs) That's the hill I'm going to die on. The Simpsons takes place in Illinois. I claim the Simpsons. At least up until season eight, and then they got real weird, and I'm not going to, anyway. After that, anyone else can claim them. Yeah. After that, they moved to Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, don't don't worry about it. So in 1670, Mary, Mary married William Webster when Mary was around 46 years old and William was 53. And it was certainly odd at the time for a woman of 46 to be married for the first time. Oh, after all, an unmarried 46-year-old woman was considered legally dead. <laughs> Societally. You know, if they had bothered writing anything down back in that time, she would have had a death certificate. Probably. I don't know if I don't know if William was ever married before because I know it was not uncommon for widowers to get remarried in their older age, but usually to much younger women. Oh yeah. So Really, it's kind of like an aberration that Mary is getting married at 46. It may have been partly due, though, to Mary's reported temper. She was said to have spoken harshly when offended. But I can only begin to imagine what it would have been considered harsh for a woman to say in the 1600s when she's been offended. You know, just speaking her mind. Like being told she's not legally a person. Oh, my you horrible woman. No, thank you. You bitch. <laughs> this is what I envision. Like, really? I mean, even even nowadays, if a woman says something like fuck off, she's rude. She's a bitch. She's a stone cold cunt. You know, yeah, which is bullshit. And we all know fuck it. off is like saying God bless you. Everyone fucking says it constantly. <laughs> I remember I remember this one time I was standing out. I was I was standing outside this bar. It was me and a couple of my girlfriends. And we were all saying goodbye because we were going to like go home and part our separate ways. And my two girlfriends were hugging. And this dude comes out of fucking nowhere, puts his arm around me and says, hey, lonely. Oh, my God. I'm like, first of all, I'm literally here with two other women. I was just hugging one of them. 
and I Kindly was working go at the day- fuck yourself. Well, I was working at the daycare at the time and I was so used to telling the you don't tell the kids no, you say no thank you because that encourages, yeah. you know, the use of good manners. So I just snap my head to him. I go, no, thank you. <sighs> and he kind of is taken aback by that, I think because it was so polite. He's like, and then what? my other friend fucking ripped his shit open. It was amazing. I love that. Yeah, she's like, why are you touching her? She didn't give you permission. Fuck off. Go away. Go away. Why are you touching her? And she like got in his face until he walked away. Nice. It was the coolest fucking shit I've ever seen. But all I could think of was to say no thank you. Which I love. And I'm just imagining Mary living in this very puritanical society. And like, what did it take for her to be a bitch? Right. It's Not very a lot interesting. I can imagine. So the two settled in Hadley, Massachusetts, a small Puritan town. Hadley probably felt small and idyllic, but wasn't left unscathed by the raging war around them. So King Philip's War, so Morbid, a podcast I listen a lot to, they do a really good episode all about this. But it was kind of like, I don't want to say North America, but what we consider the modern United States, it was kind of our first civil war. Um, It was a violent conflict between the indigenous peoples and the English settlers and some of the tribes that aligned with them. It was um, left led by crap Medicon, who's also known as King Philip. Yep. Um, It was a bad time. It was a lot of violence. It was really bloody. I'm not going to get into it. But during the war, which lasted from 1675 to 1676, Hadley would be attacked. So regardless of, you know, all the geopolitical issues going on, the attack left the town physically and emotionally scarred. Like, I don't care if it's it's your team or the enemy who's attacking you like for your shitty to happen for your community to be ravaged by war. It's it's horrifying. It's it's devastating emotionally. It's it's awful. And especially these early settlers, they had no fucking idea what they were doing. (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're already having a time. <laughs> so the not so young couple lived in a small house in Hadley, but they struggled financially and to get by, they would rely on help from other townsfolk. So they're living in poverty and deeply reliance on, you know, other the people. kindness and compassion of others, um, which is a vulnerable place to be in. That's an understatement. Yeah, perhaps in another world. The couple would have had an easier life. William Webster was actually one of the sons of Hadley's founders, but he lost any land and wealth such a position would entitled him to. And so now he was like he was the son of one of the founders, but that's all he had to his name. Right. But and no one actually like gave a shit. Yeah, because he lost any material gains that offered him. So he was living in poverty. I, I was really trying to figure out, I'm like, why the fuck did Mary marry this guy? First of all, she's 46. It was the dick. That might be all we even have to say at this point, um, which is really unfortunate. So it's not hard to imagine how poverty took its toll on Mary. God, yeah. In his 1905 book, History of Hadley, <laughs> Sylvester Judd wrote, quote, despised and sometimes ill-treated, she was a, she was soured with the world and rendered spiteful towards some of her neighbors. 
They began to call her a witch and to abuse her. And like, I think of the psychology behind struggling with poverty and the complexities that entails. Like we talk about the complexities of grief, living in poverty is also living in grief because you're lifting, you're living in a constant state of want, of unknowing, of stress. Yeah. And, and of, I would argue low self-esteem because even in modern day United States, this whole idea of needing assistance like welfare or food stamps, it's this very shameful thing, even though a lot of people use it and it's okay. You know, however you're taking care of your yourself and your family, it is okay because honestly, this world isn't set up for all of us and we need to take whatever help we can get. So however justified her bitterness was, Mary's demeanor didn't endear her to her neighbors who began to gossip about her viciously. Mm. Poor Mary. By 1638, the now 60-year-old or some odd years, Mary had the odds stacked against her. At this time, being an old, poor, childless, outspoken woman with a bad reputation were all the ingredients the townsfolk needed to craft a deadly potion and condemn Mary. How shitty. Right? I mean, I will say, though, a lot of this has not changed. I mean, doesn't make it any less shitty. No, no, no. no. It's still just as shitty. But like, okay, are you familiar with the case of Centoya Brown? Yes. Okay, she's she's young, she's poor, she has no one to advocate for her, she has a reputation. Yeah. And she murders, she kills someone in self-defense. I Sorry, I used, I almost used the M word, that was not intentional. She kills someone in self-defense who is trying to rape her because she is a literal child. She cannot yeah. consent. And she's the bad guy? Even though she's being sex trafficked? Are you fucking kidding me? And that took a lot to overturn that. Anyway. Yeah, that was bullshit. But, you know, like this, is Mary, she's she's a vulnerable person. She's a marginalized person. And that kind of dynamic has not changed. So farmers trying to drive their cattle past her house began claiming that their livestock wouldn't approach. Using all of the common sense that an intensely religious and misogynistic village who was still coping with the aftermath of war and violence could muster, they concluded that Mary must have cast a spell around her home to prevent the cattle from coming near. Are you... F- oh, my God. Facts. What is wrong with people? <laughs> okay, but, like, prove me wrong. <laughs> okay, but prove that she's not a fucking witch. <laughs> We'll just toss her in a river, and if she drowns, we'll I'll just go, ooh, our bad. But apparently Mary's otherworldly powers couldn't protect herself. The farmers began, quote-unquote, disturbing her. So, like, this mm, is something that, that goes just, That back. just sounds gross. No, it, it's gross. It's um, So disturbing is wildly open to interpretation, uh, but that interpretation is always negative. So disturbing goes way back in like witch mythology. Basically, it's kind of like 
violently distracting a witch so her powers wane or intimidating her so that whatever effect you think she's having stops. Jesus Christ. So like I said, the act of disturbing a witch isn't well defined, but in this case, it meant that the farmers would break into her house and beat her or threaten her until she, quote unquote, lifted the spell what? and let the cattle pass in peace. Jesus Christ. Which, like, you know, this is just a six year old woman being beaten up in her own home, being like, I don't fucking know. And then like the cattle, like your cattle are just fucking stupid. The fucking cows decide they're going to actually walk past the house. And then they're like, okay, I guess we can stop beating the shit out of you now. Have you ever seen a cow? Sorry. I shouldn't laugh at that. Have you ever seen a fucking cow? They're so stupid. (laughs) I love cows, but come on. We're not exactly the most successful species on the face of the planet. Anyway, the men also discovered a witch's mark on Mary. You know, probably when they were beating the shit out of her. And the mark, it, it was like on her torso. And it was actually... Honestly, this is the part of the story that I take the most issue with. The mark was actually a burn scar from when a chicken fell down the chimney and into a pot of boiling water, splashing Mary and burning her. (laughs) To to be perfectly honest, that is the only part of the story where I'm like, and no one stopped and was like, hmm, Mary. What happened? What's up, girl? Right. (laughs) You know it's the truth because there are so many details. But this burn confirmed their suspicions. In Mary's defense, a mole or a freckle? Like Like, literally anything. I have, okay, I have a big mole on my back. And when I model, um, I I actually find it really cool that a lot of the artists will draw in the mole if they're drawing my back. And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, that's totally me. And that's my mole. But one time, one of the students made a joke about how, like, it might be cancerous. And I should get it checked out. And I'm like, dude, I'm here in the fucking room. Also, I'm predisposed to skin cancer. So, so maybe fuck you. Yeah. Um, I've been really lucky with modeling. It's been a really positive experience. But that was one of those things where I'm like, OK, you're like 19. So I'm not going to judge you too harshly, but also but go also. fuck yourself. Well, I mean, it's like. I am also predisposed to skin cancer and other cancers, and I've had a, a potentially cancerous mole removed on my arm, and I have a, a, a fairly large scar from it. And for the longest time, I wouldn't wear short sleeves or like tank tops or anything because I'm like, I was super self conscious about it, but it's gotten better and I'm just less self conscious. But yeah, like the other day, one of my clients was like, How'd you get the scar? And I'm like, I God, don't talk about it. I'm like thanks that's this, I gotta say, this people is... are hella brave in a therapy session it was like at the end too like as they yeah. were leaving i'm like mm. he like that, that that client like cut a fart and left the room yeah basically <laughs> but no i mean it's one of those things like we all have weird moles and birthmarks and things on our bodies that could have been perceived as a witch's mark and really the only criteria for a witch's mark is that someone pointed it out and everyone else was like yeah yeah, that's exactly it. it. It's it's nothing. It's nothing. So by the end of March 1683, 
The county court magistrates brought Mary up on suspicions of witchcraft, and she was sent to Boston, where she sat in jail until her court date on May 22nd. Jesus Christ. So, like, over a month. Like, a month and a half. Almost two months. She went on the last day of March. She is sitting in prison for a month and 22 days. Now, spending over a month in jail is no picnic, even in modern day. But especially at this time, it could be fucking lethal. Jails were filthy, disease-ridden, and rodent-infested places. And historically, many of the women who were accused of accused as witches in Salem died while sitting in jail awaiting trial. Yeah. They were never even found to be, quote-unquote, convicted as witches. They died due to the justice process. Which was terrible. In case we need to know around, it was. But it's like, man, y'all are even going to pretend that she was a witch. Like, anyway. Uh, so, but Mary survived and saw her day in court, where eleven men shared their evidence, unsexy finger quotes, that she was in fact a witch. Obviously, it was very cow-based evidence. What? She turned me into a newt. She turned me into a newt. Uh, I got not better. A I got better. <laughs> That's such a good movie. It holds up. Look at her nose. That's a carrot. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the court indicted Mary of Witchcraft, stating, quote, For that she not having the fear of God before her eyes and being instigated by the devil hath entered into a covenant and had familiarity with him in the shape of a warrenage. What? It's it's so it's the indigenous word for like a black cat. Oh, um okay. I've been drinking. I should have just said black cat yeah. but I wanted to be true to the quote and I didn't realize how impaired I'd be when I had to read it. And had his imp sucking her and teeth or oh. marks oh. found upon her. I'm like, okay, like, I mean, I don't know if the devil's good at giving head. Like, who am I not? Yeah. Y'all, it's not my fault y'all aren't stepping up. Right. Like, if you choose to miss out, like, that's your own fucking fault. Yeah. I'm sorry you don't get off on me getting off, but the devil knows how to meet a woman's needs. (laughs) So, despite the compelling testimony of 11 men who claimed that Mary had fantastical powers that scared their fucking cows but somehow couldn't prevent them from beating the shit out of her on a regular basis right when mary was put on trial on june 1st 1683 she was found not guilty of witchcraft good returned to hadley good and actually i was i was listening to a i was listening to a podcast kind of about witch trials and they were saying that in in larger courts it was less likely to be found guilty. It was these like smaller local places where they'd already made up their minds and they just needed to create yeah. the presentation that they were following the rules that you would be convicted. Um, unfortunately for Mary and many other people that this kind of thing happened to who were fortunate enough to be acquitted, an acquittal could do nothing to change how the people of Hadley saw her and it wouldn't take much time for them to refocus their ire on her. So it's one of those things. I 
returning to Hadley was a very brave thing for her to do, but it was a very dangerous thing for her to do. Yeah, because like, that's being shocking. acquitted of witchcraft when the entire town has already decided you're a witch, they don't care. Yeah, like no one gives a shit. Yeah, which kind of is another element in how illogical and fanatical all this crap was. But anyway, in January of 1684, less than a year after Mary's acquittal, prominent Hadley resident Lieutenant Philip Smith became ill. Because it's the 1600s and that never happens. Smith, who was a judge, deacon, town representative, and panicky hypochondriac, began suffering from fits and delirium and publicly accused Mary as the cause. Oh my God, are you serious? I think it may be worth mentioning that Philip Smith was a member on the court that sent Mary to Boston to be tried for witchcraft in the first place. So there is a history here. Leave the poor woman alone. Philip has an agenda. Like, Jesus Philip had some bad mutton. He's getting a lot of diarrhea and a fever, and he can't handle his poor decisions. So falling back on an old strategy, the men of Hadley decided to disturb Mary until Philip Smith got better. But if you thought breaking into an old woman's home and beating her was bad, buckle up because we are jumping off a cliff and into a nightmare. In his book, History of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Thomas Hutchison wrote, quote, While Philip Smith lay ill, a number of brisk lads tried an experiment upon the old woman. Having dragged her out of the... Yeah, this is... This whole quote is fucked. And I like to think it's tongue-in-cheek, but it's... The whole thing is just fucked. when When you think about the reality of what this woman went through. Um, having dragged her out of the house, they hung her up until she was near dead. Are you fucking kidding me? Let her down, rolled her some time in the snow, and at last buried her in it, and there left her. What is wrong with me? (laughs) Because some guy suffering from a fever who had already accused this woman of being a witch is like, she's deaf doing this to me. So a poor old woman was forcibly dragged out of her home and murdered before being buried in the snow by a group of superstitious shithead vigilantes. And she suffered the same fate as so many other alleged witches of her time. Except for one thing. As Hutchison goes on to write, quote, but it happened that she survived Good. And the melancholy man died. Good. Jesus. And no one sat about it. I mean, I kind of wish everyone, you, all Philip. the other guys died too, but you know, I guess I'll settle. I'm just saying like, Philip, I know you're going through it with being sick and shit, but sorry, not sorry. Fuck off. Right. Like if you're going to like get sick and accuse some like old lady who's already been beaten up and burned by chicken water and all this other fucking bullshit. <laughs> like, come on on i know i know it's like kicking someone when they're down hitting below like it's like you have inflicted so much horror on this person and you're still going like even for the 1600s this is insane this is unbelievable 
but despite all of this incredible violence and a, an attempt on her life. Yeah. She survived after being left in the fucking snow to die. That's insane. Like, I'm so glad she like survived because fuck all those guys. So perhaps the town folk were satisfied that Mary wasn't the cause of Philip Smith Smith's fucking. No, this is probably just death. going to like reinforce that she's a witch because she actually I mean, survived I, it. I can also see it's like, hey, we basically killed her and he still died. So maybe we need to like Pre-think re-examine things. our choices, at least in the realm of like, ooh, she's super powerful. Maybe we should like back off. Um, perhaps they became bored. With the affair, whatever the case, Mary lived for another 11 years in Hadley before dying of natural causes. Damn. There's this weirdly weird, like, visit from her friend Marianne Cotton in England, though, but I don't think that's related. No, of course not. No. no, Mm, mm. I'm kidding. Historically inaccurate. Whatever the case. So it's hard to imagine that she was never again the target of the townsfolk townsfolk's vitriol, especially once her husband, William, died, which happened two years after her attempted hanging. Jesus. Did y'all forget that Mary had a husband during this whole ordeal? Yeah, like, where has he been? Yeah, I also did. Because he's never fucking mentioned. I straight up assumed he had died and been dead this that, whole time. That's what I assumed. Because I was like, oh, she's not mentioning the husband. He must be dead. Like, um, where are you, my guy? No, he's just a shitty husband. And I and like, and like, I say this because being associated with a man at this time of being accused of witchcraft, like having a man be there was a huge source of protection. Maybe and he was just old and were, no one gave a shit. Yeah, but like being... Being a widow, especially if you had already been accused of being a witch and then your husband dies, like you're done. Yeah. Like it's it's coming back on you. Yeah. So yeah, like the, yeah, blows, wait, fuck you, husband. Yeah. I okay, to be fair, um, I don't think he was up for doing much of anything. I don't think that his complete lack of status was gonna help anything, but still, I'm like, where is William and all this? I don't know. But they yeah, don't it just have doesn't kids, feel so no one... right that her yeah, husband is no. just like I'm like William. You're the one who kind of fucked up, and she married you, so maybe you're the witch. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Maybe William was a warlock and just like yeah. he's just like you can take it, honey. It's fine. Yeah. Don't worry. So legacy, and and this is kind of some legacy, some other relevant connections. So Cotton Mather. Back to the name Cotton name? and why I hate it. He was he was a pucker-faced douche canoe and one of the leading villains of the Salem witch trials, which would begin just nine years after Mary was initially accused. And she died 11 years after her attempted hanging. She was definitely alive during the Salem witch when trials. the Salem witch trials were going on. So Cotton Mathers wrote a whole chapter in his book about William Smith's or excuse me, Philip Smith's death and placed the blame squarely on Mary and her witchcraft. He definitely believed in witches and he definitely signed the death order for other innocent women. Jesus Christ. He was also apparently like the sixth president of Harvard. Make of that what you will. 
He's a douche canoe. Yeah, he he sucks. Harvard or I, no Harvard, he's a douche I don't fucking canoe. care. Honestly, like Harvard, you might want to um You might want to just like scrub his wiki. Yeah, page. that's what I was gonna say. Like you might just want to like scrub him from your archives. Might be the one argument for revisionist history. Harvard just being like, we do not claim cotton mather. <laughs> right. He's an asshole. So um Yeah. I'm sorry, I skipped a paragraph. <gasps> How dare you? Oh my god, how did I did I fuck this up? Yes. I know the other Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry, I lost my place. Okay, so Mary Webster may have been ostracized and abused in life, but she has served as an inspiration since. Hmm. Author Margaret Atwood. Hey. Ever fucking heard of her? Whose grandmother sometimes claimed Mary was an ancestor. Like there's a quote by Margaret Atwood where she'd be like, on Monday, grandma said, yeah, Mary Webster was an ancestor. And then on Wednesday, she'd be like, no. Interesting. So who knows? You know, senility. It's a thing. But um, Margaret Atwood, kind of inspired by this potential connection, wrote a poem dedicated to Mary Webster called Half Hanged Mary. Jesus. And dedicated her novel, The Handmaid's Tale, to Mary Webster. Hmm. Cool. Ever heard of it? Yeah, it's real dark. I I won't read it. I can't. Um, it's a bit intense. I, I watched a really upsetting sitting council meeting, and I still am not over it. I, I don't think I could handle this. No. I encourage everyone else. Do not to recommend. If, like if if you can't handle things like that, yeah. Like read a synopsis before you read yeah. this book because it is intense. So, witches have always been a fascination for people, but especially for women. We see ourselves in the women of the past who were vulnerable, stepped out of line, who struggled and were demonized for it. But we also crave the power they have. In life, they are feared for their otherworldly power. And even in death, they maintain a legacy that wouldn't otherwise be given. Witches have control. Witches are heard and witches are remembered. And I'm going to end this with the last couple of stanzas from Margaret Atwood's poem, Half Hang Mary, that I feel like really encapsulates that idea. Okay. Um, I encourage you to read the whole poem. It's a little long, so I wasn't going to read the whole thing here. Also, I've been drinking, so please bear with me. When they came to harvest my corpse, open your mouth, close your eyes, cut my body from the rope. Surprise, surprise. I was still alive. Tough luck, folks. I know the law. You can't ex execute me twice for the same thing. How nice. I fell to the clover, breathed it in, and bared my teeth at them in a filthy grin. You can imagine how that went over. Now I only need to look out at them through my sky blue eyes. They see their own ill will staring them in the forehead and turn tail. Before I was not a witch, but now I am one. Later, my body of skin waxes and wanes around my true body, a tender nimbus. I skitter over the paths and fields, mumbling to myself like crazy, mouthful of juicy adjectives and purple berries. The townsfolk dive headfirst into the bushes. 
to get out of my way. My for, my first death orbits my head. An ambiguous nimbus, medallion of my ordeal. No one crosses that circle, having been hanged for something I never said. I can now say anything I can say. Holiness gleams on my dirty fingers. I eat flowers and dung, two forms of the same thing. I eat mice and give thanks. Blasphemies gleam and burst in my wake like lovely bubbles. I speak in tongues. My audience is owls. My audience is God because who the hell else could understand me? Who else has been dead twice? The words boil out of me, coil after coil of sinuous possibility. The cosmos unravel from my mouth, all fullness, all vacancy. Damn. And that is the story of Mary Webster, the Witch of Hadley. I love the end of that poem because it's like after this horrible thing has happened to her, she almost finds this new power in being able to do whatever the fuck she wants because the townsfolk yeah. are genuinely frightened of her. Right. They're not using this as an excuse to abuse her. They're like, move, bitch, get out the way. <laughs> Sorry. I shouldn't laugh move, at that, but it's fine. Bitch, get out the way. Get out the way. But you know, kind of that that power in that in the perception and she's like i wasn't a witch before but i fucking am one now because right. that is how you're perceiving me before like it doesn't matter if i am or not like if this is how you're gonna see me this is fine yeah but also before you perceive me as a victim and now you perceive me as something truly powerful right it, it's it's so cool seriously read the whole poem but i thought that ending that's kind of how i hope mary's life was after that trauma, I hope, so. I hope she really owned it. <laughs> she seemed like she would. Mary was a bad bitch. Yeah, she was. In the, in the best way. Yeah. And, and again, people said she had a temper or she was like disagreeable. And I'm like, yeah, but the margin for that is so narrow for women at the time. Even now. Right. Like... I. And she's living such a crappy life. And I can't imagine the marriage, the marriage was necessarily her choice, probably more of a survival tactic. Probably. Yeah. It just, the whole thing is really sad, but Mary survived and man, we're still talking about her. Fuck. Yeah. Mary. The witch in the best way. Witch in the best way. I like that. So Emily. Damn it. You're too slow. I was going to pause politely and then ask you. Fuck that. I'm using your polite pause to ask you first. What are you thankful for? Um, I am really thankful because there's a homeowner that I've recently been working with that I have been like really emotionally invested in their housing journey working out and they closed on their house. Oh, and I was I was terrified something was going to go wrong, and that and then I was going to have a straight up fucking mental breakdown. Um, but but it was great, and it was it, it was one of those moments where, for all of the obstacles, all of the shit, all of the ignorance surrounding housing and affordable housing and housing justice, there are these moments where 
everything works out in the best way and you can be like okay like we're we're doing something good like this is this is working this is this is moving the needle in some way right i mean sometimes you just need those little victories to keep you going which is good like life is full of little victories if you know where to look 100 100% kelly what are you thankful for <laughs> That was a weird. That was a weird noise. That was the saddest little uh, sound I have ever heard. Um, what am I thankful for? I am going to go with I'm thankful for my niece. She's putting a little life back or light back in my life. Um, a few weeks ago, um, I get a text from my older sister, and she's like, "Hey, like, yeah, we did like the zoo for." M's birthday but like we never actually did anything for her birthday and I asked her what she wants to do and she wants to come and have a sleepover with you like she's like and me but you <laughs> and I was oh like I'm like like I don't want kids I know I don't want kids I've never really wanted kids and so like my goal in life has always to been to achieve like to be that aunt that the kids want to come and hang out with and like be that cool aunt and so I was like I got that text and I like ran upstairs and I'm like, Justin, I have achieved cool aunt status. But yeah, so they're coming down tomorrow and we're going to like have a little sleepover and like stuff like that. We're going to like do nails. I got to go pick up. Oh my God. I'm going to go Target and pick up those like animal face masks and like cute things like that. And then I'm really excited for it and just like really excited that she like wanted to come and hang out with me instead of like going to see my mom or like do something with my brother and his girlfriend, you know? So I am I thankful for that. I don't think kids get how good it, it makes adults feel to be chosen. Yeah. You know, especially since um, like I am aware that I'm not around a lot just due to living the furthest away and stuff like that. Like, and for a long time, I was working weird jobs and like just various things. Like I, I'm aware that I'm not around a lot, so yeah, to be chosen like is just like the extra little like. Sorry, I cut you off, but I was just like, no, 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 no. I, I was just gonna say, um, like when Q wants to do stuff with me, and like I'm not, I'm not related to her. I'm just, I'm really good friends with her mom, and I've known her since she was a baby. You're, um, you're not blood related. You're, um, yeah, but, chosen family but, related. You know, I, I, I try to be like a positive adult figure in her life and when she wants to do something with me it is the best feeling in the world because right. I'm like oh my god I, I feel like I must be doing something right because what kids super don't realize is that adults are so constantly and deeply insecure about what kind of impact they're having yeah. on the kids around them whether it's a niece whether it's a son or daughter or it's like a friend's kid you know yeah. I, I think kids for the most don't part think about it I think yeah, well, we all want to be a positive influence. And at, so there was one time I took you to the mall and we just kind of like had a little shopping date. And at one point she just goes, I'm really enjoying spending time with you. And I'm like, you know, Q, could you give me a minute? Because I'm about to have a mental, a good old cry in yeah. the mall bathroom, like an adult. But I don't know, it made me feel really good because it was just kind of that reaffirming, like, I, I know Q loves me. And I know she enjoys spending time with me. But to hear it come from her 
it's it's just so there's cute. something extra about that like and so to hear your niece choose and know, communicate like, that she wants to spend time with you in a sleepover that is and like you and I did that for one of her coupons yeah. and like it was it was so much fun yeah I'm I'm like genuinely like super excited. yeah that's that's gonna be awesome I'm really happy send me lots of snapchats I will Well, thank you so much for listening to another super zappy episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com, where you can find a link to all of the above social media, a link to all of our episodes, a link to our sweet ass merch, a link to our Buy Me a Coffee, where you can spend $5 and buy us a bottle of wine. Uh, and that is a one-time donation, or you can spend as little as $1 a month and support us over on Patreon and get some bonus content, as well as we usually send out, like, Christmas cards and stuff for Women's History Month and just, like, you know, the higher you donate, the more random shit you get from us. And we are about to record a... So last month we recorded a Herstory Happenings about the two mother and baby homes and, you know, just oh, mother God, and baby homes in Ireland so in general. And this month... We're getting super peppy with Femme Serial Killers, a la Kelly, which is like, Kelly, you, this is your destiny. This is my destiny. This is your fucking I destiny. Mean, it kind of is. You have been crafted to do this episode. I'm so excited to hear it. We are really dedicating ourselves to do doing herstory happenings every month. Um, so we're we're kicking that shit back into high gear. So we're going to be recording that next. Yay. So get on top of that shit for October. Fuck yeah. And raise five stars wherever you listen because it gives us the warm fuzzies and it's totally non-committal. Oh, the warm fuzzies. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have a spooky day, bitches. Bye. Bye. <laughs>